ministering to my soul. And thank you uh, for ministering to the body of Christ this morning. As we continue in worship, and before we get to open the word, I just want to again welcome our, our guests and visitors with us this morning uh, from, uh, from far or near. Uh, glad to have you with us to worship the Lord with us today. Um, so glad to have you and pray that uh, you'll be blessed because of your time here with us today. And may the Lord work in your life because you've gathered with us today. Well, we are uh, here this morning and uh, I'd like to, on this uh, pretty momentous day in the life of in the history of this church, uh, it is our last day, last Sunday of our Sunday services here on this corner of Funston and Anza. And uh, we uh, will, we end our little era here on this corner in the very same way that we probably began it, and though I wasn't here when it began. Uh, but I'm sure it began with uh, the opening of the word and the reading of the word and the preaching of the word. And so will you stand with me this morning as we look to God's word one more time as we turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and we hear and listen to what God has to say to us and to the world. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Let's turn our Bibles there. We read, the, Dr. Luke writes in this, these verses, he writes, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, They were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Again, that just speaks to us and reveals to us Jesus Christ. And Lord, we look to your word this morning. We ask that you would speak to us from your word. Speak to our hearts that we would hear exactly that which you desire for us to hear. Father, minister to each and every soul, even as each one has need. But we pray that you would minister to this body as a church, one church. Lord, as we stand and one more time and before we move to our new location, Father, we pray that your word would speak to our hearts, prepare us, equip us for the new era of ministry that you will have for us in the new community and the 
part, a new part of town. And yet, Lord, we pray that you would cause us to continue to be faithful, to do that work and fill that work which you have called us to do. And over these 50-some years that you have led many people to come and be a part of this church, who you've used for the furtherance of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would continue to do so, that you would continue to build your church, that you would bring people here, that you would use us to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Father, may your word now go forward. May it not return void as it never does. May you accomplish that which you purpose to do in each and every one here in life of your church. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As I've already just mentioned to you, today is uh, the last day that we're going, we are going to have our Sunday worship services here on the corner of Funston and Anza. And I it just, you know, I didn't think much about it until today. And as I was just sitting there and reflecting and worshiping the Lord with uh, all of you, it just kind of hit me that I'm not going to come here anymore on Sunday mornings and worship the Lord with you here. Uh, and of course, we'll worship together at Terraval, and you know, in many ways, things will still be the same. But uh, it just—I was—I felt a little sorrow, a little sadness, a little uh, as I reflected upon all the all the things, all the wonder, wonderful memories that we've had here as a church on this corner. All the many people we've come to know, the the programs and ministries we've had here, the 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 many opportunities to lead people to Christ, the conversations that we've had in almost every corner of this little tiny building really this little tiny house uh, that uh, uh, some many saints back in the days in 1974 purchased and then built a uh, a worship hall on this the what was really originally just the the backyard of this house and uh, this little house has become a, a church a home for many of us over these uh, many past 50 years and uh, it's kind of sad as we're going to be moving our to a new house if you will um, but uh, we remember, and we uh, uh, remember the fond memories that we have here. Of course, uh, I just want to add that we will still have ministry here. Our Fellowship Friday Fellowship groups, for the time being, will remain here at the Funston. And so, uh, those of you that are Friday Fellowship groups don't don't go to the Terraval unless your leaders tell you to. But we're going to have them here still. But it's going to be pretty exciting next week, I think, when we move over to 401 Terraval on the corner of 14th. Avenue and Terraval Street. So it's really just literally 14th. This is Funston's 13th. So it's really literally Manza to Terraval. It's kind of straight line south of us. But it's going to be neat. You're going to, go, you're going to arrive at the church building there. You know, we're going to be excited about just exploring, discovering where our rooms are, where the worship hall is. Uh, we're going to compare it uh, with uh, maybe this building. We're going to compare it with what we think it's going to be like, and we're going to have a lot of fun just being uh, critiques of church buildings, I'm sure. Uh, it's going to be a blast. It's going to, we're going to love, you're going to love to be able to have space. You know, it's like, oh man, I can I can move around freely. I don't have to bump into half a dozen people uh, as I walk down the hallways, just maybe two or three people now. But it'll be, it's going to be fun. I, I think I mean, we're going to enjoy that. We're going to love just discovering our, the building that God has blessed us with and God has uh, enabled us to complete. It is, uh, we will definitely give thanks to the Lord on that day. We're going to rejoice. 
for his leading in this church in this building project. Uh, if you if you can think about it, it's been a seven year building project as well. So that's a good whole good perfect number. Uh, we so it's almost like God ordained, and it is God ordained. We will learn to adjust to our new building. Uh, we will be led to plan new ministries there to serve our new community that Christ has placed us in. And on this final Sunday here, I wanted for us again to hear a word, a word from our church's founder. And you know our church's founder is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to, we've been preaching through Isaiah, and I um, didn't want to continue through that. I was going to preach from Psalm 119, and I thought, well, even that is not quite a word from our our Lord. And so I turned to the New Testament, and I turned to this passage in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. And just as we sung this morning in our final song, Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Uh, with, I find that the words of Christ in this passage are an appropriate word from him that we've spoken. And if we, as we understand, as we grasp it, as we fulfill it by his power, we will continue to be a church that brings glory to him. This text is a text that I believe will refresh and renew San Francisco Bible Church in our focus as we prepare for the continuation of God's work at our new location. This passage takes us back to the days prior to the beginning of the church. The church technically or officially begins on the day of Pentecost, which we'll find in Acts chapter 2. But today we want to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. As you, many of you already know who studied the book of Acts, it is a book that records for us the historical records surrounding the growth of that early church. The work of the Holy Spirit in building that church through the proclamation of the word and through the faithful obedience of those early saints. We learn in this early parts of chapter 1 that for the first 40 days after Jesus' resurrection... He presented himself to the various disciples, speaking to them of many things, but particularly speaking to them things concerning the kingdom of God. And he encouraged them and gathered them in Jerusalem to await the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here in chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, then, we see that Dr. Luke records for us the very final words of Jesus to his disciples on the cusp of the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. Before the church begins, these are Jesus' final words to his disciples. These 12 disciples, these are technically 11 disciples at this point, are going, to be, are going to hear the words of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Christ, which he would command them, which because through the Great Commission, they were then to command and teach others as well. And as his words spoke to his disciples then, they are... I, they are words that speak to his disciples now to prepare us on the cusp of a new era, a new phase of ministry for us of Bible. And I pray that just as they were encouraging to the disciples then, they would be encouraging to the disciples today, you and me, as we prepare to begin a new ministry. A uh, simple outline for us today, and that we're going to look at three essential truths. Three essential truths for the church of Jesus Christ to focus on from start to end. 
These are truths that were essential for the, at the very beginning of this church. They were essential truths for us today. They're going to be essential truths for this church and the churches of Jesus Christ all around the world until Christ returns. And so these are essential truths for us today. So I pray that we would then, let's look at these three truths and be encouraged by them as a church of Christ. So number one, we look at the first essential truth for us at Bible to focus on as we're preparing for a new ministry, a new phase of ministry, is that our passion, the passion of this church, is to be the kingdom of God. Our passion, our number one, if you will, desire, our, our vision is going to be for the kingdom of God. We read in verse 6 and 7 these, this, this truth. Verse 6, look at the verse 6 with me. So when they had come together, they were asking him, that is Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, you recall that Jesus, in those 40 days between his resurrection and ascension, that Jesus was appeared to them and spoke to his disciples. He spoke to them particularly about the kingdom of God. And so on this particular day, when they had gathered together with Jesus, the disciples asked this question of Jesus that had been on their minds. In fact, the text or the, the, the Greek tenses there indicates that they were actually continually asking. They're persisting in asking him, Jesus, they were, is this the time? Jesus, is this the time? And they were asking him on a re- continually uh, of this, this question because it was continually on their hearts. They were, had great anticipation of the answer to this question. And their question was, Lord, is it this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is the kingdom coming now? Is really the question. Is the kingdom coming now? Like, you know, children on a journey and they're anticipating arriving at Disneyland and say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they had been anticipating all Israel, the kingdom, coming of the kingdom. And they're asking Jesus now, now that he's resurrected and now he's been appearing to them over the past 40 days, are we there yet? Are we there yet? When was the last time you thought about the kingdom? He says, oh Lord, are we there yet? We sort of sometimes lose track of the kingdom of God. We, we don't sense them. I think sometimes as, as uh, Christians, we just kind of lose sight of the kingdom. And I just appreciate even the songs we sung today reminding us of, of our, that our normal desire that we should have to look forward to the kingdom. We look forward to so many things in this world, but do we look forward to the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ? See, on the minds and hearts of these disciples was the very kingdom of God. This was something that the Old Testament prophets had had prophesied of. It the Old Testament prophets told of a of a future earthly literal kingdom ruled by the descendant of David. And this kingdom had would in the New Testament would be known as the millennial kingdom. It would be a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of righteousness, where Israel's enemies would be no more. The kingdom would be ushered in by the coming of one prophesied in the Old Testament. The, the root of Jesse, the shoot of Jesse, as we've studied in Isaiah. The, the prophet, the seed, the Messiah. It is why many look to Jesus Christ when he came in his, in his first coming, in his earthly ministry. They looked to him to establish his kingdom. In fact, they, they, he was avoiding people because many wanted to make him king. But that wasn't why he come in, came in that first time. But now, in this text, he had been resurrected. He had shown that he triumphs over death even. And so you can imagine the disciples, they were saying, Oh, surely you, now you didn't, you didn't come and establish your kingdom before you died. 
But now that you, you're alive, you have a brand new body, you know, this has got to be the time when you're going to establish the kingdom because they can't even kill you. And so they were looking forward with great anticipation for Christ's kingdom to reign over the earth. They long for a world where Christ reigns. Don't you? And so they asked, is this the time? Are we there yet? Surprisingly, Jesus' response was not the answer that they were hoping for. Look at verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He doesn't quite say uh, yes or no, but he gives them basically a, a, a statement that gently corrects them. Some conclude from Jesus' response here that the disciples were wrong to hope for a future millennial kingdom. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. For if they were incorrect, if they were wrong, if there was, if there is no such thing as a future millennial kingdom, and that really the millennial kingdom is already here right now, then Jesus would have corrected them and said, there is no future kingdom. We are in the kingdom now. He, you know, he could have just said that directly. Rather, he says to them that when the kingdom comes is really not their, their concern. It's not their concern to figure out when Christ's kingdom is going to come. When the kingdom comes is God's concern. It's, just, it's set by God's authority, God the Father's. Rather, we, as we find from Jesus' words here and the rest of Jesus' words in this text, as well as the whole book of Acts, the disciples' concern is not when, but what. What they are to do to further the kingdom of God. They are, they are correct in their passion about the kingdom of God, but Jesus focuses them on what they are to do to further the kingdom of God. And we see this in the rest of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. And I'm just going to listen, go through these pretty quickly. So you might want to write these verses down if you want to look at them again later. But Acts chapter 12, there, Philip preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ to men and women alike. Acts 19.8, Paul entered the synagogue of Ephesus and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 25, Paul referred to his ministry to the Ephesians as preaching the kingdom to them. Acts chapter 28, verse 23, Paul, before the leading Jews of Rome, solemnly testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them concerning Jesus. And then at the end of the very, of the very book of Acts, the last and final verse, Acts 28, 31, we read there that for two years in Rome, Paul was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from, from all these texts, all these passages and verses within Acts on the kingdom of God, we learn this truth, that preaching the kingdom of God is truly, is essentially and synonymous with preaching Jesus Christ. It is preaching the good news of Christ. It is telling how others may enter into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God that is coming. And it is only through him that anyone may enter this future kingdom. So the disciples' passion, again, was correct. They had a passion, they're longing for the kingdom of God. 
But Jesus' answer, nevertheless, would focus them on their task to further the kingdom by witnessing of the king and leading others into the kingdom. The disciples' passion for the kingdom of God was an essential truth for that early church. They needed to be passionate about the kingdom of God. They longed for it, and they, and they wanted to know when and, and how. It's just like people today uh, try to go through a lot great extent to figure out, oh, Jesus is coming back on this day or that day. You know, people are always prophesying and thinking that when Jesus himself makes so clear that um, it's not for you to figure out. Just know that it's God's authority. In fact, what Jesus wants us to focus on, not trying to figure it out. Don't write a book about it. Please don't do that. But instead, write about what we are to do to further Christ's kingdom now until that day comes. This truth is still essential truth for us today. You know, we all have passions. Oh, man. You know, we have passions for various interests, various hobbies, whether it be sports, fashion, food, travel, etc. But the church's one passion is to be the kingdom of God which starts with the king himself, but it also extends to the people of this kingdom. You know, our lives are spent on a 101 things, but the overarching passion and pursuit of our lives for those who belong to the church of Jesus Christ is and ought to be the kingdom of God. Do we desire to see Christ magnified as the Lord of lords and king of kings? Because one day he's going to come back and that will be the case. Do we desire to see others come to know the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Are we as people of God about the king and his kingdom business? Are we about ourselves and our own business? Is his kingdom the passionate prayer and pursuit of our lives? Are we saying in our, by our lives and in our prayers, thy kingdom come? Or are we saying, my kingdom come. Let us, as we stand here concluding this ministry and beginning a, a new era of ministry at 4-1 Terraval, let us renew our focus on the kingdom of God. Let, let the kingdom of God be our passion. Let our lives and our speech, our prayers, our behavior, our, our, our efforts, our pursuits, our passions, our desires, may it be for the kingdom of God, that the kingdom would come, that we'd look to every opportunity in our lives through, through those 101 things that we pursue to further the kingdom of God. Let us renew our focus on the only kingdom that will stand when all is said and done. And this is the first essential truth, that the passion of the church is to be the kingdom of God. We find it according to Jesus' words here. Jesus' words affirm this. But he focuses them on what they need to know. And we find a second essential truth in the verse 8. And that is the power of the church is to be the Holy Spirit. And the power of this church, San Francisco Bible Church, is to be the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, or the first part of verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know, the conjunction here, but indicates that their focus is off and needs correcting. He tells they, they want to know when, but the disciples' concern is not to be when, but who. Instead of focusing on when the kingdom comes, Jesus focused them on who will empower them to further the kingdom of God. Who is this person? Who is it that they are to depend upon for the furtherance of the kingdom? 
In verses 4 through 5, he had told them to wait for the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, the mention of the Holy Spirit reminded the disciples immediately of what the Old Testament prophets had taught about the kingdom. The prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Zechariah, all foretold of an outpouring of the Spirit in the period of the Messianic kingdom. So the fact that Jesus says, wait for the baptism of the Spirit, immediately told them or made them think, oh, the, king, the fulfilling of all those prophecies are coming true. The kingdom is about to take place. And so that's why they asked their question. But the arrival of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost was only a partial fulfillment of these prophecies of the Old Testament. Of the Old Testament. For according to Joel in the Millennial Kingdom, the outpouring of the Spirit would be on all mankind. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, it was only upon the disciples of Jesus Christ. It wasn't upon the whole world. Only the disciples, the believers in Christ, received the outpouring of the Spirit. Thus, we understand that the Christ kingdom is still yet to come in the future. But the giving of his Spirit to his disciples empowered them for the work of furthering the kingdom. Jesus tells them that they will receive power as a result of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, we see that the primary empowerment of the Holy Spirit would be in speaking the truths of God. In fact, you can take, it's a very, it's a fun, actually a very fun activity. Uh, I'm a pastor, so I say these things are fun. You're a Christian, you, you just find them fun too. To trace the Holy Spirit in Acts. Just trace the, the whole, just all what the Holy Spirit is doing. Why does he get, why is this continual filling of the Holy Spirit? Why is different groups being filled and then they, they speak in tongues, they do signs and wonders? Why is, why is that kind of happening from one group to another group to another group? And then they, and then you see what is the result of the Holy Spirit? It's, it's just fascinating, actually exciting, uh, when that when you study that. But one of those things is that when the Holy Spirit empowers His people, fills His people, they boldly speak the truths of God. In Acts chapter two, verse four, we see the disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And what were they uttering? You know, and if you. Sometimes in modern day charismatic movement, the, when they speak in tongues, it's, it's really just a gibberish. It's, it's not even a language. But verse 11 makes so clear that they were speaking, the, the, those who came from outside Jerusalem were saying, we are hearing them speak of the mighty deeds of God in their own tongues, in literal, natural human language. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we further read that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 6, verse 10. Tells us about Philip, one of the, one of the seven, how the Spirit empowered Stephen to, or Stephen, I'm sorry, empowered Stephen to speak with such authority, with such wisdom, that his opponents were unable to cope with him. That's so amazing. You ever, you know, how you, sometimes you share the gospel, and then you feel like, oh man, someone else just asked you questions, oh, I'm unable to cope with that. But when the Spirit of God fills you, enables you to speak, you speak the truth of God, and the other person is unable to cope with you. Because the truth is just impacts them. It's so profoundly. That's what the Spirit of God does. He gives boldness to his people to speak his truths courageously and clearly. As Christians, we receive this very same spirit when we all believed upon Jesus Christ. That spirit is at work in our lives, conforming us in the image of Christ. 
is at work in our inner man, strengthening us to live godly lives, empower, and as well as empowering us to speak his truths wherever and to whomever he leads us to. If we desire to further Christ's kingdom, we must depend upon the power that is given to us in his spirit. We must be people who are filled with his spirit, as Ephesians 5.18 commands us. We must be people who, are, who let the word of Christ dwell richly within us, as Colossians 3.16-17 speak of. We must be prayerfully seeking the spirit's leading and the spirit's power to speak the truths of Christ. We need to rely on this kind of Holy Spirit power and not on any other power. Twice this past week, our, our home, uh, in our home, Cindy, and my, or in our, myself, my home, uh, we, we lost power. I don't know, did you lose power? No, it's just, it just my neighborhood, I guess. Anyways, we ran out of power a couple twice, in fact. I'm like, oh wow. It just kind of reminded me as I was kind of just trying to do work. It reminded that all human powers, even the mighty PG&E, uh, <laughs> will fail at some time or other. You know, just power fails. Whether electrical power, gas power, but also human powers. All powers, all earthly powers fail. And the same is true for the various things that we depend upon to preach and proclaim Christ. As a preacher, it is a strong temptation sometimes to depend upon our own speaking abilities, our oratorical skills, our profound illustrations, or our technology, such as, you know, even keynote or PowerPoint, our AV system, or make sure I could use a little more reverb to sound a little more holy, please. Uh, no, you know, these kinds of things to make us more effective communicators of the gospel. And certainly they are helpful. Don't get me wrong. They are helpful. But we are mistaken when we think that if we don't have these things, then the preaching of Christ will not be as effective. If we don't have keynote, if we don't have AV, if I don't have, uh, if I start stumbling and repeat myself and start, uh, uh, oh, 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 you know, all the time, that that's somehow going to hinder the preaching of the message of the gospel. The only way we will be ineffective when we preach the gospel is when we fail to depend upon the Holy Spirit. That is the only way we will be ineffective. We make similar mistakes when we depend upon people as well. Many people, it's a very common, it commonly happens sometimes, and you know, it's okay if you've done this, but you know, we bring people, many people of us bring people to church. Uh, we bring our non-Christian friends and family to church, and then we, they want to introduce them to the pastor, or to one of the elders, or maybe one of the, you know, one of the godly people in the church that we look up to. Why? Because we think that somehow the pastor, or the preacher, or the elders, or the godly men and women in the church, oh, they're gonna be more effective in preaching the gospel. More effective than the one who brings them. The very, the very fact that you just brought someone to church, that shows me that you are effective. You know, I invite people to church, and then they say, oh, you know, yeah, no, I'm not interested. You're way more effective. You're ahead of the game than the person that's going to be, that you bring them to the church to share the gospel with. Sometimes we think that certain people in the church, the pastors and the spiritual, the, the quote-unquote godly people, we think they're going to be more effective. But remember, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, if you have this very same spirit, the power for you to share the gospel is in the same spirit. That whether you're a pastor or an average person in a pew, the spirit himself will give you the very words and will make you effective in preaching the gospel. He will give you the words to speak. He will make you more effective even if you stumble over your words. The very fact that you have a relationship with that other person is, and they know you will, 
go leaps and bounds towards being an effective witness because you've already been witnessing by your life. But more importantly, that spirit will take your life, will take your words, and lead someone else to Christ. What's more, also, I would even add that since we're moving, let's not think that our gospel ministry will be more effective because of the power of a new building. As if people will come to Christ because of how lovely or how advanced or how spacious the building is. They won't. If, they, if we need a building, if they come to Christ because of a building, uh, you can imagine what will happen when we get more crowded. Will they fall away? That would be foolish. See, the power for preaching Christ is not in any building. It's not in a person. It's not an ability. It's not in our technology. It's not in any even program of a ministry of a church. But ultimately, the effectiveness, the, the power for preaching Christ, the sharing the gospel, furthering God's kingdom is ultimately in the Holy Spirit. And he has been given freely to each and every one of us, each and every one of you, when you believed upon Christ. And that's a, more power than all the powers of this world put together. So let's depend upon that power. May we not depend on anything, any power on earth, but let us depend upon the Spirit as a church that as we begin a new era of ministry at Teravau, that we continue, really, to depend upon the very provision of the power of God for the work that he's called us to do. Now, Jesus' shift to the disciples' focus from when to who, that is the Holy Spirit, takes them even beyond the Spirit. He takes their focus, he brings them to the Spirit, but he, his words, as we'll find in the latter half of verse 8, will take them beyond to another person, and even more a, a person that we even more should focus on. And we find here the third essential truth in the latter half of verse 8 that we need for us as a church today. And that is this truth. The priority of the church is the witness of Christ. These final words of Jesus ultimately focus the disciples' concern from when to who. Who, that is, is the key to the kingdom of God. The empowering of the Holy Spirit that he had just spoken of in the first part of verse 8 is really an instrument for the ultimate purpose, which we read here in the latter half of verse 8. We read in the latter half of verse 8, And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. See, that ultimate purpose that even the Holy Spirit's been given to the disciples to fulfill, to, to have power in their ministry, is so that they would point people to Christ. That Jesus Christ is the one, is the ultimate one, whom they are to point people to, whom they are to focus on, In fact, the emphasis here is on that personal pronoun, my. When Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses. Not just the fact that they'll be witnesses, but they shall be my witnesses. They shall be Christ's witnesses. Now, a witness is pretty straightforward. It's someone who testifies to the truth of a matter. As disciples of Christ, as particularly apostles of Christ, they had seen Jesus' ministry. They were eyewitnesses of that, of his life and ministry. They'd seen him from beginning to end. From his 
from the start of his ministry to his death and to his resurrection. So they were able to testify of his life, his death, his resurrection, his words, his ministry, his miracles, and all that he had passed on. Their test, the disciples' testimony, their words, their speech, and their lives gave witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what they did. On the day of Pentecost, we, we find here, in, we, we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, that Peter spoke of Christ on that day. When people wondered, what, what is happening? What's this feeling of the Spirit? Why are people speaking in tongues and speaking of the greatness of God? And he told them that this Jesus, God, raised up from again, to which we are all witnesses. The reason why this, this wonder is happening, this wonder is taking place, is because Jesus Christ died and he rose again. And we are witnesses of it. And they passed on that witness to those disciples. And that witness was passed on to other disciples. And that was passed on to other disciples. And that was passed on to others and others and others and others until it came down to you and me. This generation, this church, and other churches around the world are Christ's witnesses today of his life, death, and resurrection. We continue to be that. We are his witnesses today. Acts chapter 5, verse 29, verse 32, shows us the, even the significance and how important this, this, this work of being a witness of Christ was. Peter and the apostles were called before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council in the temple. And the council was challenging them and said, who are you to be preaching this message, the saying that this Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah? We forbid you to continue to pre- preach this gospel, to preach of Christ. We read in 529, 32, these words. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You see... The early church made it their priority, their focus on being witnesses of Christ, even at the expense of their standing within the community. They were focused on Christ. They were focused on preaching him. They must, they must obey God even when it meant disobeying man. They were focused on the Savior, on the Lord Christ. You can see in, in these verses that they focused on his de- life, his death, his resurrection. They spoke about how he came to grant repentance to Israel. He came to bring forgiveness of sins. And this is continues to be the testimony and the witness of Christ's church today. It meant, of course, even as we look at this text, the, the risk of ostracism for community. It meant speaking the truth, about telling people about their sin. It meant uh, telling people the need to repent and submit to the lordship of Christ. And that was their witness. That was their focus, their priority. But this witness, what's more, this witness was not only limited to just the people in their own community. It wasn't just limited to the people of Israel only in Jerusalem. Jesus' words indicate that the witness of Christ, by necessity, will always have a view to reaching others beyond our community. Their witness would begin in Jerusalem. It did. But it would expand. It would expand to the region of Judea and Samaria. Judea is the region where Jerusalem was uh, uh, was the 
the center of. Samaria was the region to the north. And then their witness would even further expand to the rotest parts of the earth. Obviously, the early church, some 5,000 plus members actually, did not all go out and witness in Judea and Samaria, much less the remotest parts of the earth. But their witness, their faithful witness in Jerusalem, led to other witnesses, because people came to Jerusalem, led to other witnesses who would then return to their various cities, cities like Antioch, which then led to further witnesses, as we, as we read in Acts, further witnesses to regions such as Galatia, to Greece, and to even Rome. So for the disciples, while they faithfully witnessed of Christ in Jerusalem, they knew that their witness was meant to expand beyond themselves. That God would make it so that their witness would, would have a profound impact to the remotest parts of the earth. The priority to be witnesses of Christ is still to be the priority of the church today. It starts always here at home. In our own city, in our own neighborhood. And as we move to a new neighborhood next week, let us be prayerfully looking for more for opportunities to witness of Christ to our neighbors there. It starts as soon as you drive into that neighborhood. Many of us can be looking around for parking. You might accidentally you might accidentally bump into a neighbor, and they might ask you, "Hey, what's this massive crowd gathering at 8 a.m. in my neighborhood?" We say, "You know, hey." Uh, we're having there's a we're we're San Francisco Bible Church. We're we're here to worship the Lord on right over there in that new building. Uh, you're welcome to come uh, worship with us. Oh, by the way, uh, is it all right if I park right here? Because <laughs> they're going to be upset. You know how that is in San Francisco. So let's be good witnesses. As you kind of walk, you see someone walking a dog. Say, "Oh, I love dogs." <laughs> Make sure you love dogs before you say that. Okay. <laughs> be friendly. Be kind. Let's start off on a good footing as we reach our new because because now before we can witness with our words, we've got to witness with our lives, right? That's going to be go a long way. So let's do that. You know, sometimes uh, I thought about our fifty years of, of ministry here. What does the Bible become known for in this community? What is it? Many people have come and gone. They've come uh, one week and then they moved on. Thank God for that. But as our reputation, our community has. Well, there should be some kind of reputation. What is it? Perhaps it's because, of, as our title says, San Francisco Bible Church, we're known as being a Bible teaching church. That's not bad. That's okay, but I don't think that's good enough in Jesus' book. I hope as the Bible will become known or is known, not only in this community, but also our new community, as a church that always proclaims Christ. That's known for being a church that shares the good news of Christ that lives lives reflecting Christ, doing deeds that show the love of Christ. May we be that kind of church. May we continue being that kind of church. In our annual elders planning meeting that we had uh, late last year, we gave thought to what we would be like, what we would like as a Bible to be five years down the road. And uh, we concluded that we desire as a Bible church to be 
a training church, an equipping church. A church that faithfully teaches the saints of God with the scriptures so they would be equipped to be leaders of Christ's church, that we be servants, servant leaders of Christ's church in, in the ministries here, but also the ministries elsewhere around the world. It was just amazing, even as we went around among our group of elders, how many of our elders, this is like, I think at least half our elders were, were open to, to ministry elsewhere, mission work. I was like amazed by that. While the majority of this congregation will remain within our community, probably for the rest of our lives, we must not lose sight that our aim is always to see the witness of Christ expand to other communities, to other cities, to other nations. As a church, as a Bible, we can do better in this area. I can do better as your shepherd in this area. It will mean for us to have a greater and more, uh, more con- greater concern for, for missions, for outreach. It will mean a, 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 a vision that, that recognizes that we must be faithful here in this church, but we must also have a vision for reaching the world. Please be in prayer for the church that we would grow in these areas, that our witness would expand, that we would be a church that is, becomes a training and equipping church, strong, teaching the word of God, pointing others to Christ so they would be equipped to serve the body of Christ here and as God leads to serve the body of Christ in the remotest parts of the earth. These are the three essential truths that the early church heard from Jesus Christ on the cusp of the beginning of the church. These were truths that they, that early church needed to be an effective church that brings glory to Jesus Christ. These are the essential truths that as a Bible needed and heeded when we began some 50 plus years ago. And as we continue our ministry on a new location next week, these are the essential truths that we need to heed and to hold to so that Christ's kingdom would continue to be furthered, that his name would continue to be magnified. May our passion be for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. May our power be drawn from the Holy Spirit. May our priority be as witnesses of Jesus Christ here and elsewhere. Let's pray for these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us in your scriptures. And Lord, we, we hear your words. We hear what you said to the disciples before the beginning of the church. Father, help us to heed these words. Help us to obey them. Lord, we ask that you would make it our passion to be for the furtherance of your kingdom. That we would truly, by our, in our prayers and our, in our pursuits and our, in our lives, reflect that your kingdom come. Father, we ask that our power for in this, in this endeavor would be drawn from no one else, no, no other thing but from your Holy Spirit. Help us to be spirit-filled men and women who speak mightily your word, 
Father, may your spirit go before us even and do a work of convicting and, and transforming hearts so that others might be drawn to the gospel and, and, be, and, be, and be led into your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to constantly make our priority in this world, no matter what the consequences may be, that we'd be witnesses of Christ, that we would tell others, whether bidden or forbidden, that Jesus Christ came. He, he is the Son of God. He lived on this earth. He walked in among men. He lived a perfect life, but he was nailed to the cross. He died as a substitute for our sins so that we who believe upon him, his death and his resurrection might have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. That we might inherit the kingdom of God. That we might become sons, adopted sons and daughters of yours. That we become part of something that will last even when this life and all in this world perish. Father, help us to have this passion, power, and priority. May we be men and women who reflect Christ. Lord, set Christ as our vision. Set Christ as our lives. Set Christ as the words, as our speech. That this church, and not only this church, but Father, all the your churches around the world, really just the one church of Jesus Christ, may it continue to glorify his name. And your name. Until Christ comes again. This we pray, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.